Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast, your go-to source for insights and strategies in the HVAC, plumbing, and roofing industries. I'm Corey Barrier, here to guide you through transformative approaches to business and mindset. Each episode will explore unique methods, focusing on identifying and addressing the core challenges in your field. Our goal is to equip you and your team with practical solutions that foster growth and success. So whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a longtime listener, get ready to dive into a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Let's begin our journey to success together. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn. To live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, Successful Life Podcast is a space where you can hear stories from badass entrepreneurs and influencers that collectively have millions of listeners and followers. You get to hear their backstories and where they are currently. We discuss how precious your life is and crucial it is to live with a purpose and die knowing the person looking in the mirror today. This is the successful life. Corey Barrier, yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn, apply it to your life. It's your turn to live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast. I am your host, Corey Barrier, and I am here with Rose Bosworth. Hey, Rose, how are you? Hi, I'm good. I did say your last name right, correct? Correct. Bosworth. Good, because I butcher most people's last names for whatever <laughs> reason. Unless it's like Smith, and then I'm pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rose, um, I'm so excited to have you on today. Rose is going to tell us all kinds of stuff today, and I don't, I've never heard, I don't know all of your story, Rose, and I am super excited to hear all the, you know, all the details of it because it's quite interesting, would you not say? Uh, yeah, it is. It's something like you would hear out of a a weird story on the news or something. Or maybe like ID channel even. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> and I, I don't mean to laugh. I'm not making light it's, of it. Oh, no, it's completely fine. So... Rose owns, you and your husband, right? You and your husband own Black Dragon Arms, correct? Correct. Okay, and that is a, you guys sell guns? You guys, tell me so, about that. So we sell guns. We are a gun shop initially. So we sell guns, ammo. We do gunsmithing. He coats. he blues. Um, we do acid bluing. So it's a hot acid bluing to the, to the rifle or a firearm whatever, whichever firearm. Um, I am an instructor for the NRA. Um, I teach basic pistol, Missouri CCW. I teach, uh, rifle, shotgun, and refuse to be a victim. Wow. That's insane. So what, I mean, just out of curiosity, it's not often that I talk to too many women that have had that much experience with guns. It's pretty impressive. What in this, like, have you always loved guns? I mean, is this something you and your husband got into? How did that happen? So no, that kind of starts my story. So actually I was raised with guns, but not that often. My father had a few handguns, um, a little bit of hunting here and there. But no, um, my initial encounter with guns was I was married at a very 
early age. And um, the man that I got married to was not a very nice man. Within two years of us being married, he went out one day, got drunk, was high on drugs, and um, came home and thought that I had cheated on him. And obviously I didn't. And um, he went into our bedroom, pulled out a revolver, loaded it in front of me, and pointed the gun at my face. I don't know why. I don't understand. It, when you're in a situation like that, you don't really think. But something told me to grab the barrel of the gun. And when I did, I grabbed the barrel of the gun and I moved it to the left side of my face. And when I did, he pulled the trigger. The bullet, the firearm went off, shot me in the left side of my neck. I have the hole right here. I don't know if you can see it. It's, it's very tiny. It's right here. The scar going down the side of my neck is from the surgery to repair the muscle and the tendons inside of my neck that the bullet had damaged. Um, the bullet never came out. It was lodged in the back of my neck. I have a scar on the back of my neck. Um, I was in surgery for quite some time. They showed me the bullet when it came out after, you know, recovery. Um, the incident that had happened when it initially happened, um, I remember everything to a T. And when I was shot, I never heard the sound of that bullet coming off. I never heard it. I saw smoke. It's just like you see on a movie. I saw the smoke. Um, and then I was like in shock. I never felt it. I didn't bleed. Um, I quietly walked over to the couch and sat down and I said, you shot me. And being that he was on drugs, he started freaking out, I think, coming to realizing what had happened. And his response was, look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. Well, eventually I said, can you go call me an ambulance? I had an amazing, amazing officers and first responders that assisted me through getting me from point A to point B. I was airlifted from the high the local high school to um, the hospital in St. Louis, Missouri, where they um, did my surgery. Um, after that, I went to the police office. Um, after recovery, I went home. They left me, they let me go home after, I think it was like I was in there maybe a day or two. I can't remember all the details of that. Um, but the police said, I need you to come in and fill out a police statement. I gotta so, stop you just, can I stop you just one second? Sure. So, <laughs> so just to make sure everybody, everybody did hear that, right? And make sure I heard that right. And I'm not delusional. You, you got shot in the, basically the, the front slash side of your neck with yes. a revolver. I'm assuming it was not too far away from your neck when you got shot. It was in within um, a couple of feet, like from, I don't know how to explain the distance, but I could, it was close enough that I could reach out and grab the barrel of the gun with my elbow still, like it was close. Oh my God, that's right. You did say that. So, um, wow, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> like, um, and I did see you get up and walk a moment ago, Correct. Correct. Is that, that, that doesn't sound normal. So no, um, where the bullet was lodged, um, my surgeon actually told me I'm, I'm a miracle. I'm very lucky from where it was lodged in my spine. Like it was within centimeters of my spinal cord that I should be either paralyzed 
or dead. There's no reason for me to be walking and alive. And, and did you also say there was no blood? There was no blood. I never bled once. How is that even possible? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but I didn't. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, what in the hell went through your mind? Do you well, remember? Well, I don't because first of all, like I was, like I said, I was fairly young. I was actually 17 years old when I was shot. Um, I, I don't remember thinking anything except for to lay, sit still, sit still, don't move, don't move. Um, I, that's all I could kept thinking. And I was calm. I remember being very calm and not moving. And according to the first responders that if the wrong move could have lodged, that bullet could have become dislodged from my neck and moved into my spinal cord. I do remember the helicopter ride. <laughs> oh my. I, I know I laugh about it, but I have to because that's the way I cope with it. Um, plus the years after that of, of getting past all that, I didn't, I didn't have any kind of therapy with my neck. I kind of did it all on my own. Um, I do have long lasting side effects from it. So like from where my, the center of my throat is all the way to like where your ear is, that's all numb. I have no feeling in that side of my neck. I have constant neck pain. Um, when I go get a massage, she can literally feel the muscle that's tore and shredded from the damage. Oh my God. The cold chills have not stopped since you started talking. Holy shit. I've never in my life heard anything like that ever. I, I'm almost speechless. I don't even know what to say. Like, what did he say? Um, so the only thing he really said during the time of the, the, um, the incident was, is, oh, look what you made me do. That's what the words that came out of his mouth were, look what you made me do. Um, what I, when I went to the hospital, they put me in a room. I remember coming off the air, the helicopter onto the helipad, which was on top of the building. And I can remember them covering my face. And then when they wheeled me down the hall, I remember seeing the lights and um, they put me into a room where I think there was like four or five different doctors. I don't even know. They, they didn't want to move me as much as they possibly could. So they brought actually the x-ray machine to me and they all kind of rolled me and took my x-rays. Um, one of the things um, that they did do is, which I now looking back at my age, I wish they wouldn't have, is that they let him come in to that room. Yes. Yes. So within the time of the ambulance coming and me being airlifted, uh, he had time to come up with a story of what happened. And that was the story he wanted me to tell. And that was the story I told. Um, so to them, it was an accident. It wasn't intentional. It wasn't in, on purpose. Um, so they didn't know any better. So they let him in. When he came in, he said those things that most men that you hear about on TV say. He got down next to my face and he said, if you say the truth, I will go after your family, meaning my mom, my siblings. Yes. So I didn't say anything. I kept it to myself. I 
kept his story and I said exactly what he wanted me to say. I can not say I blame you. Right, exactly. I mean, and then um, I, and I stayed married to him for 10 years. This episode of the Successful Life Podcast is brought to you by House Call Pro. Whether you're looking to streamline your operations, reduce paperwork, or boost revenue, House Call Pro is your all-in-one business solution. Transform your business today with essential tools and support designed to drive efficiency and deliver exceptional customer service. To learn more, click the link in the show notes. Or, um, I guess is it's obviously it's safe to assume that you're probably too scared to go anywhere. Right. I mean, when you are in a situation like growing up, you re- you think, oh, the person that you marry is the person that's supposed to protect you, the person that is supposed to look out for you, and whatever. Um, that's the life that I knew, and I knew that internally, you know, that it wouldn't. For me, it wasn't going to change. You know, if I, if I did whatever, he would still find me, he would still do this. So, and that's the only life that, like I said, that I knew, um, he, like I said, he wasn't the very best man. So I, I grew pretty much, he, he pretty much raised me cause he was, he was actually older than me too. Oh my goodness. So, um, I know it's a lot. <laughs> oh gosh, it really is a lot. Um, it's 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 hard for people to understand because I I do work in healthcare and I've had people say when they hear my story they're like you understand what some of these victims come in and you know people are like well why didn't you leave why didn't you leave and yes I do understand where those victims are coming from. I mean I had two children with him. My oldest is twenty one and my youngest is seventeen. So I mean. I, I completely understand. And then when you start having children, it makes it even harder to leave. Well, you know, even in a normal situation, I think that women or, you know, maybe in, and maybe even situations with, with men, I guess it's because you don't hear about the men as much, but because of the children, regardless of the abuse at home or whatever the case may be, they, they, a lot of people do stay because they're, you know, scared for their own life. They're scared for their kids' lives. They're scared for both of their, the lives of both themselves and their kids. So I, you know, I, I can't say I've ever been there, but I will say it makes sense why you didn't go anywhere because I mean, what, God damn, the guy shot you in the fucking neck already for God's sake. Like I I can't, it's, it's unbelievable. Right. Exactly. Um, and like I said, I was with him for 10 years. And when I finally left, everyone wants to know what made me leave. That's the first thing when they hear my story and they find out everything, they're like, well, you were with him for 10 years. What made you leave my son? I didn't want my son to grow up to be like his father. And a 17 year old girl, mind you, I was married at seven. Well, I got married fairly younger, but this happened to me when I was 17. A 17 year old girl stood by me the entire time when I went through my divorce. I had to stand in a courtroom and I had to tell them why I wanted a divorce in front of people that I didn't know. 
So, I mean, it's, it was a roller coaster ride. Just, I mean, just people think, you know, oh, just leave. It's not that simple because then you have to divorce them. And when you divorce them, then you're putting yourself out there for perfect strangers. Well, well, not to mention that, that, you know, you, you're also putting yourself at a massive amount of risks, risk. Yes. Oh yeah. Um, when I divorced him, he cut my brake lines, my master cylinder. He messed with my master cylinder on a car that I had. Um, I was coming home from a mall with my children in my car and I was coming down a windy road and, um, I had no brakes and I don't know why I didn't, but I did two donuts in the middle of the road. I hit a tree and then I went down backwards in an embankment and on the other, a tree stopped me. And on the other side of that tree was a five foot drop. God's got a plan for you. Exactly. That's <laughs> holy cow. He, and yeah, eventually he gave up, <laughs> but, um, I mean, obviously I'm still alive. I mean, so where is he now? I'm hoping he's in prison. No. So the reason, the reason that he's not in prison is because of that lie. The, with him telling me to tell the police. So when I went to the police station, they had me fill out an incident report. During me filling out the incident report, I said exactly what he wanted me to say. Um, I had a police officer come in and tell me to my face, you're lying. We know you're lying. We had an officer a woman officer, your size, your build, do exactly what you say happened. There is no way this happened. And then, yes, they tell you, oh, well, we can protect you. We can put him away for a long time. But when you're that young, you don't believe them. If he was able to do this, then, you know, how are you going to, you know, people think like that. How are you going to protect me? No one can. So he didn't go to prison. Well, of course, that's what you thought. What you had, what, what else were you supposed to think? Right. So I have to ask, like, okay, so, for, okay, let me ask you. The first question is, do we, how long after did you give this report? It was almost, a, it was a couple of days after I went home. It was within days of going home from the hospital. And is there, uh, I guess it's a stupid question at this point, maybe, but is it, is there not a way to go to have, I guess, gone back at a later date and said, you know, I wasn't, I, this is really what happened or would it be like, you know, you might as well had you just, it, it would have been point, would it have been pointless? Are you talking about like statue of limitations type thing? I, 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 I don't, I guess so. Yeah. So when I got divorced, I was one year late of filing a report saying that what I had said was that I lied at back then you, there is a statute of limitations. And unfortunately I missed mine. And unfortunately other women had to suffer. I mean, not the extent that I did, but, um, he, he hurt other women. So oh, it was, a, my heart. Oh my God, that breaks my heart. So, but yeah, he's, he's still alive. He's still out of prison. He actually lives in the town that I live in. Um, yes. Um, he didn't used to, but he does now. He, he, I think he's more afraid of me now. <laughs> he's afraid of me. 
Um, and I don't think it's because I own a gun store. I think it's because I've stood up to him. Um, when I got divorced, the judge, because of parental rights, he had parental rights to our children. So he got visitation with my children and with his, with his parents. Um, so he was able to see them up until a certain age. My kids saw their dad until they decided they no longer wanted to. So I left that to their choice. They're doing, I was not going to make that decision for them. Um, but living in the same town, my husband now, I've been asked, how does he not want to go over and, you know, kick his butt or something? And I don't know how he doesn't, but he's a very strong man, especially to deal with the baggage that I come with. <laughs> so. Um, okay. So, but so you, you did t tell the judge all of this and he still gave him visitation rights? He or yes. she judge? Yes. Yes, because he never hurt my children, our children. He never hurt them. It was all directed toward me. And there was a, was there, a, is it safe to assume there was abuse before and after this? Yes. Okay. So are you saying, you mean before the shooting? Yes. Yes. So it was all, it was physical, mental, social isolation, um, it was so to the point to where I wasn't allowed to look at someone when they came into the room. If I looked at someone, he would hit me later. Um, I couldn't talk to anyone. Um, he, I was always cheating on him. Always. He, he constantly thought that I was cheating on him um, or that I was bad mouthing him or something of that aspect. Was he, was he, well, obviously he was mentally unstable, but, and you mentioned drugs and you mentioned alcohol. Now that part I can identify with because, you know, I've not had a drink or drug in uh, almost 11 years. Um, but, but, but it never did that to me. Um, however, I can see how, how that would have probably could have played a, a part in it or no. Um, so I think that he wouldn't have done the things that he, like, as far as the shooting, no. I think that was the drugs. He, that was the paranoia. Um, like, he was, there were times, like, that were good times, and there were times that were bad times. But with the, with the drinking and drugs, he was constantly drinking. He always drank. There was a time that he wouldn't go to bed without a fifth next to his bed. Um, the drugs got worse over time. It started with pain pills. Then it went to um, crack, I guess. And then eventually methamphetamines. And now I, I don't know. He was um, suicidal, um, schizophrenic now. From what I hear, he's, he's very schizophrenic now. So, and, well, and I, I've, I've heard recently he has now went into heroin. So. Well. Good for him. I'm <laughs> right. sorry, but I mean, oh, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. I mean, hopefully it kills him. It's the only thing I can say. I mean, unfortunately, but what's well, not really unfortunate. That is the, that I, I could, I literally don't even know what to say. And for me to be speechless, this is typically not the case, but this is kind of like Andy's. The, this is obviously worse than Andy's story, but but similarly, Andy got stabbed in the face for something. I, that... I've, yeah, I've heard Andy's story. And when I heard Andy's story, it, it touched me because I know those looks that people give you. Um, 
especially when they see your neck, they, they're like, well, what happened to her? What, what happened? And you know, it wasn't my face and yes, your face is your face and your neck are the first thing people see when they meet you. And when their eyes and you're looking at them in the eyes and you see their eyes move to certain spots, you know, that what they're looking at and you know that they're questioning you or judging you or whatever. But yeah, I, I completely know where he's coming from. And when I heard his story, I could completely relate to him. And I, ever since then, I've been listening to everything he has to say. My husband and I both listen. We, we even listen to the AF program now. <laughs> it's, um, that's, I'm so happy that you found that story and that, because that's got to make you feel a, a tad bit better. It does. It, it makes me feel like I'm in a way not alone. Sure. I know that there, I know that there are women out there who have gone through what I've gone through, not maybe to the extent um, that I have gone through, but to have someone else come out and tell their story, I think is when I heard his story and I've heard other people tell me that I needed to have my story told that there are people out there that probably need to hear my story. And it was, it's, it's hard to find those right of how to do it. I've thought about writing a book. I thought about, you know, just coming out and doing it. I went, when I went to college, I took all kinds of psych classes. Um, I wanted to be a counselor for women like myself. And when I went and seen a counselor, I didn't like the way I was treated. So I kind of steered away from that. And what, what was your, what was your experience with that? Well, so when I went, she kind of just like not really listened um, because I wasn't broken. So by broken, what I mean is, is they, they were meant to have someone. Okay. A woman in my situation is usually statistically becomes an addict, an alcoholic prostitute, or continues along the line of following a man who is exactly like the last one. And it's a cycle and it keeps repeating itself. I didn't do that. When I got away from my ex-husband, I tried to better myself. I didn't have a high school diploma. My ex-husband refused to let me go to finish because there were boys there and, you know, boys would be interested in me. So I went and I got my, I got my GED. I took night classes. I worked. I raised two kids by myself. Um, I did night classes after I graduated, after I got my GED. I immediately rolled into our community college and I took as many classes as I could take. Um, and then I got a job at the local hospital and then now I own a gun store. <laughs> Can I just say like how brave I think you are and how proud of you I am. That is so unbelievable that after all of that, that you didn't wind up like how you just described because how easy would it have been just to you know pick up some of those things with him just to cover up the pain shit and you absolutely need to write a book are you kidding me <laughs> holy cow so um how long did it take you to um you know you're you're married now how long did it take you to be able to even go out with a, a, another man. So I, 
I grew up, I knew that all men are not the same. There, you, Every woman is told, you know, or we all think, and men think we think that, that all men are the same, which we do. Because if you, and it's not the men that are the same, it's us. It's the men that we're choosing. So when I started dating, I think it took me five years to date someone. And then when I started dating, I kind of, I was standoffish, which like I said, my husband is a God bless him because I don't know how he deals with me. Um, because I'm very insecure. I'm, um, I question everything. I judge everything. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy. And I don't know how he does it, but, <laughs> but him and I dated prior to getting married. We dated, but uh, I don't know. We dated once and it didn't work out. And then somehow or another, we kind of just found each other again, but I haven't really dated many men since my ex-husband. Cause it is hard to trust men, whether you think that they're going to hurt you or other aspects. I mean, it, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to trust. And I still have problems trusting. And I, it's sad to say, but at times I even feel like that's toward my son. So, I mean, it, because I'm afraid he's going to become like that. Well, I think that is completely normal to have those thoughts. Right. And to be insecure is, I, I would imagine that would be completely normal. Um, and that, you know, when you said that, I thought about, you know, I recently had a, a realization that, um, that I compare myself with everybody. And, and I used for, for the longest time, I never, never, well, for years, I never realized that. And I, I went and, and I had a spiritual experience. And when during that spiritual experience, I, it was clear as day for me that that is exactly what I do. And, and I think a lot of people do that. And I think, I think most everybody probably compares themselves to another person at some point um, in their life, or maybe, maybe always, I don't know, but I think it's more, more often than not. Mm -hmm. um, so I just think it, I think it's normal, but I just never realized I was that, you know, that I did that as often as I did. And so I'm really working hard on that now. Um, I can't imagine going through what you did and not being able to have, I mean, not have, not having those thoughts, not. Right. I mean, my goodness. And I'm very vocal about my thoughts, especially with my husband. So he understands what I'm thinking when I'm thinking it or how I'm feeling. And that's one of the things that I think women that have gone through the things that I have, that they don't think about. Um, when you talk about your experiences with a man that you get with, to ex tell him what you're feeling when you're feeling it, that way he can help you earn that trust in him. And I think that's how I got to where I am is because I do talk to him about how I feel and he reciprocates to me and it helps me get past it and get through it. Well, that's what he's supposed to do. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That is what he's supposed to do. Um, you know, um, I was just talking to my wife today and uh, she had a, an eating disorder pretty bad. And, 
um, almost, and, and choked my daughters in the next room. So I had to be quiet, a little bit quiet, but um, she choked on a piece of broccoli one time uh, when she was 16 and almost died in a bathroom by herself. And, um, and so you were talking about telling your story and it's interesting because a lot of our conversations today have been around her starting to open up about these things because there's healing in that. And I think you probably can attest to that. Yeah, there is. Um, talking about it makes it a lot easier. It makes it easier on you. And especially when you have someone else talking back to you from a different perspective. Um, like for the longest time, I thought it was my fault. You know, for some reason, the things that I went through is my fault. It's my fault. For I must've done something. And which what all women think that get put in that situation. We did something wrong. And when you got someone else telling you no, and they give you a different point of view, it makes you realize, oh my God, yeah, it, it wasn't, I didn't do anything. So it, it is, it is good to talk about anything and everything you can with whoever, someone that's close to you. My journey talking about it started with that 17 year old girl. And then it kind of grew the more that I talked about it. And then people would approach me and ask me questions about my neck and it kind of just I started opening up more and being more able and easier to talk about. You know, I just realized that you were 17 and then a 17, I, you know, I didn't register or register earlier when you said it until now, but how ironic is that, that the similarities there? There is a lot of ironic things that happened to me. <laughs> that, But yeah, it is. It, it, it very is. She was in high school and she... I don't know how she got through to me, but she did. And we're still friends to this day. <laughs> Gosh, I bet. Yeah. So, So you know, you, you said you haven't, you have you, you haven't told your story a lot publicly. Is that correct? No, I only told it to like, um, well, my husband, my children know bits and pieces of it. Um, and then co close coworkers, that's about it that not really anyone knows my story. Now, I'm going to say something that um, this is what I, I explained to my wife and I just tell her that, you know, if, if you don't, if for her and in your situation is far different than an eating disorder, but if, if she doesn't talk about it and, 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 put it out there, there's a chance that somebody could, could really suffer because she didn't talk about it. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. is one of, which is one of the reasons, um, that I took my classes. So, um, taking the NRAs, I became an NRA instructor because I wanted to help women and children. Um, it's not the gun that did this to me. It was a man that did this to me. That gun would have been laying under the mattress or in a drawer or in a cabinet. It wouldn't have floated magically into the living room, hovered over my face and pulled its own trigger, which mind you, it was a single revolver. So the hammer had to be pulled. So it wasn't like you pull the trigger and it goes off. The hammer had to be pulled to go off. 
So, and that's something that I've learned since being an instructor. Um, you know, I, it's weird how my life has come together. Um, being the fact the raised that I was raised, getting married, being shot, and then knowing that there's a, there has to be a reason for me to be here. There is a reason that I am still on this earth. And the only thing I can come up with is the, where I am right now and where I plan to be going in my future. Opening the gun store, I have already talked to so many women who are afraid of a gun, who want a woman to teach them because they are, in my situation, I would have been afraid of a man to teach me how to use a gun. Um, I would have rather had a woman. One, we know how we each dress. You know, we know the dangers of what, what we as women are out there. Um, because it's different for men and women. We're, we're, we're opposites on different levels, you know. So that is one of the reasons um, I became an instructor. Um, I also have that Refuse to Be a Victim class that I teach, which is a non-lethal class. It has nothing to do with firearms whatsoever. It's different aspects of our lives to make us more aware and to protect us at a different level than a firearm could do. So what can you, do you mind go delving into that for a second? Cause I don't know if I know exactly, I mean, I, maybe I can guess, but I don't know exactly what that is, that class. The refuse to be a victim? Yes, ma'am. So the refuse to be a victim is an NRA class. Um, it teaches you on today's um, level. So going to a bank, the certain things you should do, like if you go to a t um, the ATM machine or going inside the, the bank, driving in your car, getting out of your car. So for example, one of the things that I do, and I learned this from another woman, was when you get in your car, lock your doors immediately. Don't don't wait for to put in, you know, to turn that ignition on and your if you have the newer cars, the locks automatically lock. Older cars don't do that. So one of the things I learned was to lock your door as soon as you get in before you start messing with your keys or finding your keys. That way no one can jump in your car while you're sitting in it. Um, when you pull up to a gas pump, a lot of people leave their purses, a lot of women leave their purses on a seat, lock your doors, open your driver's door and all the other doors stay locked. Just that driver's door opens. So it's, it's simple things to teach you, um, less cell phone time. One of the big, big things and my kids are notorious for it. Um, get off your cell phones and pay attention to what's going on around you. There is a huge world out there and you're missing so much being on these phones, games, and it's, it's the new world. And it's so, so sad. I mean, they have no idea what life was like 20 years ago. So that's what refuse to be a victim is. It teaches you common sense that seems like it's been lost. Are you kidding? I would have never thought about those things ever, but I'm so glad that you shared them with me because boy, I'm going straight downstairs <laughs> when we get off this call and I'm going to be like, Hey, do you do these things? And she's going to be like, I probably have, I'm guessing she's going to say, I don't even think about it because yeah. it's like you said, it's that common sense. is not so common. Right. Wow. So, um, so you do help. Oh, you already, you really do help women already just in a different avenue. So, sort of, exactly. right? I try to. Yeah. <laughs> That's yes. incredible. 
So um, I don't know if I've ever talked to a, 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 well, I don't know if I've ever talked to an NRA instructor, period, but I certainly have not talked to a female NRA instructor. <laughs> is that uh, is that a common thing? So in my, there are a few female NRA instructors. Um, in my area, I am the only one. Um, really? So the near, the, yes, the nearest female instructor would be like down in the boot hills of Missouri area that I know of. So yeah wow. well, that's pretty damn cool well when i did my courses i was the only female with six <laughs> guys <laughs> so yeah that's and then and then i just recently got my nra ccw which is different than missouri so missouri ccw i don't know what your state's ccw is like but here it's an eight-hour class i kind of you just have to shoot and hit a target the nra ccw is more um detailed you have to literally draw from concealment it's timed it's different stages it's it's more intense one-handed two-handed five yards ten yards you know so yeah well it should be yes it should i be. mean you know you made a very good statement earlier and you said you know you you said well the gun didn't shoot itself well that's you know when you hear about all these damn gun laws it's like it's not the people that legally own the guns typically it's exactly. people that don't legally own the guns and guess what i don't give a fuck what kind of law you've got those people are still going to get the guns oh yeah and i'm going to tell you right now my ex-husband should not have had a gun there's no he was a felon he could he should not have had that gun and i'm going to tell you right now he got it in other ways there there are other ways even if they were to ban every gun, firearm out there, there are still ways that people are going to get them regardless of any law that they put out. If, if, you, if there's a will, there's a way. They will find a way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's a secret to the listeners that I have. You know, I got caught with drugs in 2005, so I'm a convicted felon. I sure as fuck don't have a gun. And, <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, but I don't know if I wasn't, if I would have a gun because... I, I don't know that I feel comfortable having a gun because I don't know that much about guns. <laughs> well, that's I mean, why you would find someone like me. <laughs> right, that's a great point. That's a really good point. So how often do you get to teach people? So I don't get to teach that often because I do a lot of um, the behind the scenes at the shop. I do have another job at the hospital. Um, but we we have a class coming up on the 16th of this month and the 23rd of this month. I do plan in June to start more classes. I have actually, um, at the end of this month, I have a, another class I'm taking to get another certification um, for basic pistol, so for Missouri. Um, and then at the beginning of June, I have um, a woman's workshop I'm going to, so, and I'm super excited about. Um, so it's, it's women helping women in business. So, and then after that, I plan to start teaching as many women that will come in and let me teach them. Well, I hope that there, and I'm sure there will be with your women's business thing, that's going to be, if I imagine it, 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 it should be a big turnout. And if it is, that's going to be super helpful <coughs> for you. And more importantly, it's going to be super helpful for them. Right. I hope so. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, because I don't know, you know, I, I'll, I'll test this out when we finish our call. And I'll ask my wife that question if she knows it, you know, 
hey, do you, if you were to want to buy a gun, would you even know where to, how to go about doing that? And I'm guessing her answer is going to be no. Um, I, I, and I bet most women, that's probably their answer. Right. Right. So there should be more awareness. So I'm glad that you're doing that because that's really what you're doing is bringing a lot of awareness. Right. Well, my goal eventually is I want to get into the school systems. I want to be able to teach our children. Back years ago, they used to let my, my husband used to go to school and they had their um, hunting class in school. They brought rifles into school. I don't want to bring guns into school, obviously, no, but these kids need to be taught proper. Um, and I don't, the only way I know how is to teach them the way I was taught and teach them good, you know, firearm skills. Absolutely. Um, you know, I never really thought about that kids needing to know, but you're right. I mean, you know, if my small, well, like I said, we don't have guns, but if we, if she, or most kids, I'm guessing, don't have a clue how to operate or not operate or anything, and they could pick up a gun very easily. They make stuff so real now, you know, exactly. at the store that, hell, it, sometimes I wonder if there's a difference, you know, it, because they make them look so real. Right. Well, see, um, with all the school shootings, it's, I don't know if kids honestly understand that once you pull that trigger that it's done, it's over. You know, they're not being taught that it is a deadly weapon. It, it will kill you. Um, there is no repeat. There's no restart. You know, people that I know joke, you know, the kids today, they think it's all a video game because they're being taught, you know, shooting with Call of Duty or whatever. But it's real life is not like a video game. And when I say bring it into the schools, I mean bringing and designing a program to educate kids on what to do. Um, when I was a kid, we had McGruff. Um, the crime oh, yeah. fighting, we had the crime fighting dog. And he would tell you what to do if you saw a gun. You walk away. You don't touch it. You tell an adult. Kids today, I don't think, know that. I don't think they understand what to do or what would you do. They may even think it's a play gun and pick it up. You know, when we were kids, I was taught whether it's a play gun or a real gun, you tell an adult. That's what I was taught growing up. I, I'm trying to think. Like, okay, so the crime dog, I do absolutely remember that. Um, my my stepfather was, he's an NRA member, and he's got a million guns. Um, he would load his own whatever what, reloading you know, show, show, shows, right shows how much i know <laughs> we do and, that <laughs> yeah so but but now you know thinking back nobody ever really explained anything to us other than i guess don't touch his shit maybe i don't know i, right. I don't remember or i'll whip your butt maybe <laughs> right <laughs> right butt whipping. yeah holy yeah. cow it's 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 weird. Like I, I can sit back and I can look at how like the timeline has changed from when we had McGruff and then it kind of like he went away and the kids today, my kids have no idea what I'm talking about to me, to them. I'm an alien and I'm talking a foreign language to them about like what we had as a, they can't believe that when I was in high school, there was no internet, you know, to them, they have no clue what I'm talking about, that there was no cell phones. You had the huge, you know, 
say by the yes. bell phone. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, to them, it's, it's, they have, they don't understand. And I can, I can kind of guess, I can see how my parents, our parents were like, well, you don't understand what life was like when they were little either. So, I mean, but the world has changed in 20 years. And as adults, we have to adapt to that to help our children understand the things that they're not being taught, that we were yeah. taught. Right. You know, my, it's kind of, it's ironic that you say that because we were just, my wife and I were sitting on the couch last night and we were talking and she said, you know, Corey, we've been through, she's younger than me. She was like, you know, we've been through uh, tape, uh, tapes and CDs and, and I went, well, I've been through records and, <laughs> and then my grandparents had an eight track yep, in their I the car. Yep. And she was like, yeah, I've never seen one of those. I'm like, it, it, it was uh, the, the way things are now, it is so drastically different. Yeah. So drastically different. Yeah. And it's things are so much more complicated, but you know, and I'd like to think it's for the better, but sometimes I wonder because the shit that comes through our phones is damaging. Yeah. I mean, look at where, look at, where we are right now with this craziness, you know, and especially your state is getting hammered really hard, right? <laughs> well, kind of. So, um, being a gun store, we've been open this entire time. So we were deemed essential. Um, and I also work at the hospital, the state itself, our, uh, governor has allowed small businesses to reopen in waves so for example i've already gotten a massage from my local masseuse i'm gonna tell you right now she owns a small business i already got one i was the first one in the door then my husband was the second one in the door um the nail salon is open i'm planning to go tomorrow to get my nails done to a local business our local t-shirt company she's a mom and pop t-shirt company i've been there we've or we're ordering shirts we're getting her going we're trying to do what we can to help everyone when we eat our lunches at the shop, we're eating local small businesses. Um, so I don't know about what it's like in like the big cities. I do live in a royal area, but the people still out here are scared. They're scared to leave their homes. They're, you know, and I'm gonna tell you right now, when all this hit, we got sold out three times through ammunition, firearms. I mean, it was crazy. Um, people out here are getting prepared. They don't know what to expect. So, well, and rightfully, <laughs> and rightfully so, you know, right. fortunately, fortunately, I don't watch the news and I don't, oh, we don't any. either. Yeah, we don't watch I the just, news either. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I can't imagine what mine and your state of mind would be. I guess I can't imagine because look around, um, because that's what's going on people that are glued to the television you know when you have a conversation with them because right. oh yeah it brainwashed one way oh. or the other yep 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 and it's hard because you don't know what to believe and if kids today were to watch the news like okay we don't have news we don't have the television in our home we rarely watch anything if we watch anything it's probably a movie um but Kids today, if they were to watch it, they would be freaking out because they don't know what to believe. And that's so, so sad. I remember when the TV, I, this is, a, I can remember when the TV used to go off at night and you'd see the, the lines on across the screen. That's mm -hmm. how old I am. Um, but 
it's, it's, I don't even know what to say to that. Cause I try not to be political, but then I do. Cause if you look at my Facebook page, it's very political, <laughs> but people need to search, do their own research and figure it out for themselves. You know, we all have that internal instinct inside of us, you know, just like when I was bringing this back, just like when I was shot, that the instinct inside me not to move or whatever it was. I mean, I don't even know what that was telling me, you know, to stay calm, not to freak out, to, you know, panic. We have that internal instinct inside of us that knows when something's right or when something doesn't feel right. So, I mean, and we all can only be the judge of that instead of letting people tell us what to think. I agree. I mean, I, I agree on both sides. You know, I have friends that are very liberal minded, very democratic minded, very Republican um it's it doesn't it doesn't matter we're all human in the end and we all have to survive this this world somehow we we need to coexist regardless of what your beliefs are i remember when you could go and no one cared who you voted for no one cared how much money you had in the bank i remember you know it's not like that anymore and it's very very sad i agree i totally agree um yeah it's and I don't think we're through, you know, honest to God, Rose, I don't think we're through even the worst of it. Oh, this no. seemed like the worst, but it's, this is oh. not. Oh no. I, I, me and my, so I, I, I like to indulge in a little bit of um, conspiracy theories. <laughs> I like to listen. Um, and then I'll, I, I make my own judgments, you know, I'm like, okay, is that legitimate? Could that really happen? But there's no telling where this can go. There's no telling. I mean, as far as we know, they could say, oh, another flu has been released. Another pandemic is going on. There, there's multiple. I mean, we don't know what is going to happen. And I'm going to tell you right now, and I've already said this, I will not shut my shop. Good. It's it Unless they force me to, I will not shut. <laughs> so, and you shouldn't. So. I'm glad to hear that because a lot of people are like, you know, are are shutting down, yeah, you know, have shut down and they're so scared to reopen because of what? And I thought about this today and I'm like, well, what the fuck are they gonna do? What are they really gonna do? Are they gonna make you, they're gonna, what, for, arrest you? No, at least I don't think. Well, they've arrested, they arrested a woman down in Texas. Oh, did they? A hair salon lady, yeah, she opened her hair salon, they arrested her, but they released her. So I think, I think it was either the mayor or somebody told him to release her, so. Someone was. Unbelievable. I know. I, I would have never thought I would see the world like it is now. It's it's crazy. And the crazy part is, and I think the reason why it's so scary is because it's not happening in just one spot. It's happening everywhere. So that's why it makes it so scary. And that's why people, I think, in my opinion, believe the worst. They think it's as bad as it is. Right. And I have to question that. I have to question the numbers. I have to question if oh, any, yeah. I just, I, I don't know, dude. I just, I, I, we were, I, my, my mother-in-law is knee deep in this shit and, <laughs> and, and my mother for that matter. Right. And, um, you know, we were talking yesterday and she was like, well, I mean, it's one point, whatever. And I'm like, do you really think it's that high? Really? I mean, <laughs> because, mm, she was like, well, I mean, it, CDC said it. I'm like, and what the fuck does that mean? 
we put way too much faith in that. I'm telling you, we put way too much. That's like the, everyone turning to the news to tell them what is going on. You know, who do you believe? Every news channel is something different or God knows what. I mean, what so happened true. to the days of reporting like good journalism, you know, accurate live stories, but nope, not today. It's, no. it's sad. Yeah, it's just, a, I mean, it, it's a, it's a dirty ass business is what it is it is and they say politics is bad right <laughs> right and i mean you know i don't yeah i don't know how people are not aware that you know like you just said if you you can turn on channel x or channel y and you got two separate stories at the same time at six o'clock yep. at night yep. it's like how 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 do you know who's down the truth? Like, what's for me? I'm like, well, I'm not gonna waste my fucking time thinking about watching this shit because who knows what they're doing? You know, it's, it doesn't make sense I, to me. But you know, I'm maybe I'm abnormal. I don't know. No, there's more people like that than you know that think like that. Well, I a mean, lot. And I, yeah, it's a mess. Rose, this has been fantastic. Um your stories really touched my heart. Like you have been through the shit. I mean, you have really been through the shit. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. Yeah. Um, well, I, we need, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up, but I want, I did want to ask, what do you mind me ask? What do you do at the hospital? So I'm an EEG tech. I monitor okay. waves, seizures, strokes, um, cardiac arrest and, um, overdoses. Uh, yeah. Wow. Well, that's kind of ironic too, isn't it? It exactly. I told you I have a very ironic life. Oh my goodness. Well, yeah, you were clearly here for a reason, and man, I'm so happy that I got to sit down and talk with you today. And I look forward to reading that book when it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I've secretly kind of started writing it, but I don't know where to go from where I'm at. <laughs> well, I mean, you know. I, it's like I told my wife, she, she's actually in the exact same spot. Um, and I said, you know, I said, just write, just write. And, and if it doesn't make sense, you could always change it. It's not like you're going to publish it tomorrow. Just write, right. you know, just write. And maybe a thought or something will come out of just the pen to paper or ever how you're doing it. Um, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of what I did. But the way mine started is it's more like a, it almost sounds like a thriller book. Like it, like not my story. Like one I'm making up is what it sounds like. Well, then, yeah, <laughs> I don't think you could, I don't, I don't think you could tell the story without someone questioning if you're making it right, up. If it's, it's real so or not. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, I just want to thank you so, so much for sharing this with me because it's really special. Thank Well, thank you for listening. I mean, it, it is kind of hard. I, I will admit I'm, I, was nervous <laughs> because it is potentially a lot of people listening to my story that I didn't expect all at once to happen. <laughs> so, Absolutely. but I feel very grateful that you, you know, you reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, can we talk? Absolutely. So. Well, um, would you like to leave, would you like to tell everybody where they can find you uh, sure. on social and your gun store? Can you tell us the name of that again? I was black something. Okay, so, so our gun store is Black Dragon Arms, LLC, in Union, Missouri. Um, I am Rose Bosworth, or Rosemary K. Bosworth. Um, I have an Instagram at 
Rosemary Bosworth or Black Dragon Arms LLC. Fantastic. Rose, thank you so much for coming on and you have a fantastic day. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. If you took anything away from this podcast, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and go check out some other episodes on SuccessfulLifePodcast.com. This is the Successful Life. Thank you for tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey, not a destination. Continue your pursuit by exploring more resources and insights over at coreybarrier.com. Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep striving for excellence. Stay inspired and see you on the next episode.